This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Don Robertson is in studio. Now, Don, I got to say this right off the top. Don is either the most, the bravest or the stupidest man on the planet today. Because we we are fully appreciative, Don, that you are here. But this is your first anniversary. Suze is at home while you are in here talking sports. We love that you're doing it. I, I don't know what Suze is saying. My golf this afternoon. <laughs> With Suze? No. <laughs> Hamilton Steel Hawks golf tournament. I think I, let's go with the stupidest. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning that way right now. No, no, I'm not sure. Gi- that's a gimme putt. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, well, you know, hi to Suze. Happy anniversary if Suze is listening <laughs> as well. We, we appreciate you loaning him, loaning Don to us for the evening. That's but, the easy um, part, loan me out. <laughs> um, we have been seeing finally, I think, a little bit, a, a, just a, a hint of interest in the World Cup of Hockey that's starting because we've started to see some preseason, pre-tournament games on TV. And while some of them have been, meh, the Canada-U.S. first game especially was kind of way over what I expected as far as intensity for a pre-tournament game in early September. Do you think that this is like every other event, every other tournament that we have, that once people get, once the games get rolling, the interest will be there? Because there's been a lot of questioning whether people are going to buy into this. Do you think that as soon as the games start, everyone's right into it? The games are sold out. Uh, the yeah, ex- but that's... The exhibition games are sold out. They might be charging four bucks a head, but they're sold out. And it's the exhibition series. I mean, who's watching the Leafs in Columbus for an exhibition game mm. as they get ready to... To play now, the big difference here is the best Americans are playing, the best Canadians are playing, notwithstanding the uh, North American kids, and um, who look great, by the way. The, when you watch bits and pieces of their exhibition game, they look not, really good. They're going to be very exciting. They can win seven two or lose seven two, and that's what happens with youth. I think the the biggest concern I've had, and I, I probably said it before, is. Their struggle might be goaltending, because a lot of it's you, you know a lot of veteran guys like Carey Price is no kid anymore. They excel at goal um, at the elite level, so that might be a bit suspect. But you know what? We're going to look at the best players in the world. They say the best 150. Well, that's not true because a bunch of them bailed. They were injured or they had something that they didn't want to play. So well, you, I mean, forget about the guys in the U.S. and Canada that bailed. There's all kinds of Canadians that could play on the European teams that don't play in the NHL. So, you know, we could certainly backfill. So it's it's – I'd like to say it's misleading, but it's a lie to say the best 150 players in the world are playing. It's going to be really at a high level. The downside of this is going to be when you start watching – you know, Ottawa and Columbus. Well, that's always the way, when though, it, right? When the regular season starts, you're going to go, oh. That's always the way, though, after the Olympics. We get back to regular season, mid-season hockey, and you go, wow, that's kind of awful. That, that might be something that, they, that they've that they mismeasured a little bit, but they're doing it in Toronto, and they're doing it in hockey hotbeds, so they'll be forgiven, I guess. You know, on on the flip side, something that may actually help them is that if you are playing this as opposed to the Olympic break mid-season when everyone or a lot of the players are starting to be into a bit of a lull, this could actually improve the early season games in the NHL because you've got guys who are not in mid-season form but are actually in season form to start with. 
No, you if they sh- don't get hurt. No, no, you're, no. It's a fair analogy. I mean, the guys, uh, all the premier guys like Crosby and everybody else, uh, McDavid, they're going to step into their training camps in the start of the season in full gear. Like they're going to be as close to wide open as they can be because the level they're playing at. So they should, they should excel. They should look really good at what they're doing. So we'll see how that works out. That might provide some more exciting hockey for you know, the regular season and the start up till it gets really going. But it'll be interesting. I don't know. I mean, it, it'll sell out, but I think the NHL just want to do it because they can make the money. Well, it's the NHL PA it. and NHL sure it is. money thing. Rather than give the money to the Olympics and they're not disrupting their regular season and their business plans. But do you think that the average hockey fan, this is the question, do you think the average hockey fan a week from now when the games start, and the, all the games, by the way, are on uh, CHML here in the evenings throughout the week and weekends, when those games get going and the tournament gets going, it's still the, the temperature is still supposed to be very nice, very unseasonably warm. We've had a blistering hot summer. No one is really feeling like hockey yet, I don't think. At least the, 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 the responses that I've been hearing, people talking, nobody's thinking hockey yet. So is it just, is it, is it, is it automatic that once a tournament like this starts that people start to think hockey and everyone's going to buy in? Well, if you want to use the argument that the World Junior Tournament's played over Christmas when everybody's busy with family and But they're in the hockey all, mood already though because well, they they've might been be, watching but it's, it. But a lot of a lot of a lot of people, a lot of hockey fans think Christmas is a shutdown time and you know, let's relax and they ramp it up. So I think when you're watching the best in the world People will come out. Of course, there's a lot of people going to be golfing, and it's going to be hard to be interested. The other, the other tough sell, and it'll be interesting to see how Toronto handle this whole thing. Is the Blue Jays are were on fire, and if they continue to be that way, that'll be a distraction. Rogers have it all locked up, but they're competing amongst themselves. They're cannibalizing the same kind of market. They're going to have people flipping back and forth. But I think it'll be fine. I mean, I I think people will get into it once it gets going. Because it is going to be the best hockey, likely, we're going to see until April. Why is it that, it, when I look back, now I was a kid when 1972 was going on, but in 1980 for the Canada Cup, in 1976 for the Canada Cup, in 1987 at Cops Coliseum, then Cops Coliseum for the Canada Cup, those things had huge buildups. It was, it was a, there was, people were talking about it for weeks. It was a massive, exciting thing that everybody was looking forward to. What's changed? Again, not that people necessarily won't tune in. What's changed that we've become more, you know, I'll, I'll get to it when it happens. As opposed to the excitement that leads in. I, I, I mean, again, I expect that people will buy into this once the games get going and they start to watch it, but I've heard very little in the way of hype right now. Is, do we have too many choices and too many things going on? Is that simply what it is? Well, they have access to everything, right? I mean, back in the 70s, I mean, I was, I'm not going to do the math, but 16. <laughs> um, but... You didn't see hockey all the time, and it was, uh, it was the Cold War was still on, and it was us against the Russians, and it was our game. And quite frankly, the lead-up to that was not all that spectacular because we were the best in the world. It never got interesting until we only won one game in Canada, and every, everybody went, holy crap. These guys are good. But there was endless discussion about it leading up. Now, you had Dick Beto saying, I'll eat my hat. If you know if the Russians win a game and all this kind of stuff, but there was endless talk about it ahead of time. 
There's no talk about this one now. I think people will watch. I really believe it'll be exciting. I think the hockey, if we can base anything on that exhibition game between Canada and the States, I think the hockey is going to be exciting. But we're hearing no discussion about it. Yeah, but one it. of the big lead-ups to that, Scott, first of all, newspapers were were the major source of information, and they stu- they're still a credible source for information and do a wonderful job like the Hamilton Spectator do. But the, uh, the fact is there was no TSN, there was no Sportsnet, there was one game a week on after Juliet on CBC. They preempted the hockey game for that. So now think about that for a little while. Now there's lots of chatter, but it's on, it's on Twitter, and it'll crank up. So I think the world has totally changed. I mean, we celebrate, we didn't celebrate, we honored and reflected back on September 11th yesterday. And to put it into perspective, like there's just so much information everywhere that the traditional places to get it from is not CHCH and CTV and CBC anymore. It's everywhere. So I, you say there was lots, but there was lots of newspaper articles, but there was no Blue Jays dominating. There's so much demand for space in a paper and airtime on radio and television and so on. I mean, it, it's a real struggle to put your best foot forward and get recognized. And th- and th- that'll happen with this. Do you think that if Canada gets to the finals, as a, as I think most people expect they will? Most Canadians. I would even say most people who are watching this would, would say Canada's got at least as good a chance as any other team to get to the Which finals. Which will mostly be Canadians. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> will Let's say Canada was to win this. We're jumping a couple weeks ahead now. Let's say Canada wins this. What does this mean? I mean, we hear the commercials with Jim Houston saying, once and for all. Well, if it was once and for all, we'd never have another game after this. We're not deciding once and for all who's the best team. I think they're, trying, d- I think they're trying to sell it. But I, anyway. Of course, but I'm just saying this is not a once and for all thing. So that's what I'm trying to wonder, though. What does this actually mean? What will be the, what will be the response? Will, will this be the equal of winning the Olympics if Canada wins this? No, it won't. And, will it, this- and it, will mean, it will mean far less... And you can mark my words. It will mean far less if we win. If we lose, we'll have a national inquiry. And if we ever lose to the North American under-23 group, they may bar them from the National Hockey League. What, w- As I what say would that, be the equivalent then? Firmly planted no, no, but cheek. what would it be the equivalent to of winning then? Is it just a nice thing to win, or does it really matter then? No, no, I, th- I think we're expected to win, and I think it, it's it, the way it's set up that... The um, I mean, the only option is to win. Anything short of winning is failure, total failure. Which is kind of odd because not odd that I, I agree with you, but odd in the sense that it doesn't sound like there is going to be national celebrations in the streets if we win. We've, we've reached a point perhaps where now, uh, see, I think that you do have those when you win the Olympics. I just, as I say, I think people want to win. I think we'd like to win. I think we'd like to see great hockey. I think we'd like to see us do really well in a really exciting forum. But I don't know what it means. I I just, I I haven't put my finger on what this actually means to us. Well, it won't be a monumental accomplishment. I I can tell you, this is where ages comes in handy. It doesn't come in handy many places, but in this instance, it will. 72 and 87 were monster wins. And 76, uh, too. Yeah, 76. With Daryl Sittler scoring on Vladimir Zurilla. Yeah, but 72 was a bigger deal. Of, oh, uh, 72 was was the biggest. Yeah, and and, and Bobby Orr, the one, perhaps the greatest player that ever played the game, 
played in that series. But I, in my mind, 72 and 87 were both monsters. All prior to us, back in 72, we were still sending the Allen Cup champions uh, to the World Championship. So those were big deals. Now we've set that bar a little higher. The World Junior Tournament's now on the world stage, more so in Canada than anywhere else. But so I don't think I don't think the ex, the expectations are equally as high, but certainly the accomplishments of winning aren't uh, valued the way they were earlier on. So could could someone do something that would jump into the Lemieux from Gretzky goal? Could so, or is that because I don't of, think so. They're both that sixty. Be, no, but is that? Is the, are those goals, is the Paul Henderson goal, is Sidney Crosby, are those goals important not only because of the, the excitement but because of the platform they were on? The, the Lemieux goal, the Henderson goal, and the Crosby goal will be held in very high esteem in Canadian hockey. Not just because goals. they won, but because of what they meant. Well, they... Right? They, yes. Because it was an important event. And they were the winning goal. You mean and if somebody, if if, if, if uh, someone scores, if, if Sidney Crosby did the exact same thing. Scores in double overtime against the U.S., will it mean as much? Not a chance. Just before we go to the break, those three goals, put them in order as far as most important in Canadian history. Henderson, Crosby, and Lemieux. Agree. I thought you were going to go with Lemieux first, but I, I, I agree with you. I think Crosby jumped Of course you spot. do. I'm right. Well, I think, no, I think that when those Olympics in 2010... We do not think, we don't have the same warm, fuzzy feelings about how those Olympics went in Vancouver if Canada loses that game in the final event of the Olympics. We don't. It's unfortunate to all the other athletes. We've talked about this before. That goal by Sidney Crosby turned those Olympics from being a pretty good, kind of fun two weeks into a massive success for Canada. They turned them into our Olympics. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don Robertson talking a little sports for the next half hour here. Um, Don, I was watching bits and pieces on Thursday night of the NFL season kickoff. And Cam Newton, who arguably is right now the best player in the NFL, you can make the case for that, certainly. Uh, He was absolutely abused. He took shot after shot after shot to the head. And there didn't seem to be anything being done about it in, as far as penalty flags, as far as anything else. And here's what I'm wondering about. We hear leagues nonstop talking about protecting players, talking about penalties, talking about looking after concussions, looking after everything else. Do you honestly believe that professional leagues, despite what they say, do they truly, really give a crap about concussions or do they just sort of, is that lip service? Because honestly, watching that... I saw no evidence that there was any real concern in the NFL for this kind of thing to look after, which seems odd because they've got multi, multi, multi-million dollar lawsuits that they're dealing with. But do you believe leagues really care about this stuff? You're trying to get me sued? Well, um, I actually do believe they care, and I believe they care a lot. The problem is the way to fix it will fundamentally change how the game is played dramatically and I'm not sure they want to take that step. Are they going to say that out loud? I don't think so. And the interesting part for me is that the biggest guys that get abused 
are their premier players, the guy that sells the excitement. He's the sizzle. That's what the networks are paying for. They're letting these guys get slammed around like a piñata. So when you see that happen, of course the natural thing is to say, does anybody really care? It doesn't look like it. And I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, and they've tried to fix it. And they've got to get rid of headshots to all the players, but more oh, well, specifically the quarterbacks. That okay. Now l- watching a few minutes, and again, I was the, I was working, so I didn't see a lot of what, a lot of the NFL game on the weekend. But I was watching bits and pieces of different games, and I'll tell you something. It's funny you say about they got to get rid of headshots to all the players, because it dawned on me, and I thought this before, but as I was watching, because it was in light of Cam Newton that I was looking for this specifically. If you are a running back in the NFL, or frankly in the CFL, you take a headshot on every single play. You get hit in the head because you are running forward, and you drop your head, you drop your shoulders. Your head is hit with the other player's helmet, with the defensive player's helmet on almost every play. You literally could not remove headshots. If you're going to say there can be no possible contact to a player's head, you could never have a running back in the game because every single time he touches the ball, his head is jarred or harder than that. At the goal line, there was a play, and I don't, can't remember which team, running back trying to get to the line. He was, it was helmet to helmet. It was full-on blast. Not a penalty because he dropped his head and he was going forward. See, I think I'm not a football guy. But I think the line of scrimmage on a goal line stand and stuff like that, you're going to get it. The impact isn't the same as a guy a running back going downfield, wide open, and a defensive back coming in at him. I think there's, if you're up high and you're exposed and all of a sudden, right? Bam. I mean, those things are entirely different. I think we're the NFL, and we're talking. You asked me about the NFL. I think one of their biggest problems is going to be similar to what's a little bit happened in hockey. People aren't going to let their kids play those sports. You're right. There are guys, there are, there are families that you and I probably socialize with, unbeknownst to us, that want their kids to play other sports because hockey's too violent and minor football used to be growing out in, in Beverly and in the home of the Rockton Real McCoys. They have lit football fields that now don't have football on them because, you know, unless you've got top-notch headgear, which is probably cost prohibitive, people are going to pull their kids out of sports because they don't want them walking around not knowing if it's Monday or Saturday. And the NFL, it's going to take a while, but they're going to cook the golden goose if they can't fix it, starting at the grassroots level. How many premier players could play in the National Football League? And there'll be, there'll be no stats on this, so I can make it up as I go. But the reality is how many kids never make it because they've got a concussion, whether it's in or six peewee or bantam, pre-high school, high school, university. How many premier guys that could be, pardon me, be superstars in the National Football League never make it? Well, and, and you end up now with, as you say, with parents who will look at this and say, you know, okay, I can even send my kid to a tackling clinic. And a lot of the programs now have, I mean, the Hamilton minor football requires they teach proper ways to tackle and and good on them for making this part of their curriculum part of their program they should and they are that's good but it's still it's like driving a car in a sense that i can take a 
dangerous, not dangerous. I can take a defensive driving. I can take a dangerous driving course. I can take a defensive driving course. I can be the best driver on the street, but that doesn't help me if someone else in the road is drunk or is a moron. And so you can know how to tackle, you can know how to take a hit, but if there's a kid out there or a teenager or whoever else who is a meathead who decides he's going to take your head out anyway, there's very little you can do when that shot comes. And so if you're a parent, I got to believe like you, there's a lot of parents saying, I trust my kid. I'm not sure I trust the other kids he's playing against. I've subscribed for years that you can't fix stupid and... The analogy that you use is so accurate. You can have 60 kids playing football on a field, and all you need is two two guys that don't care or are mean or just don't get it. Or but even, you know what, Don, they could even be good kids who are just growing into their body and a little uncoordinated right now. No, and, and, and they end up making contact with your head because they're not even trying to. They're just, you know, they're a little awkward and that's where their point of collision was. Scott, everybody listening and, and you and I have seen it because we played on teams and so on. There's always somebody in the league or a few guys in the league and I've played with guys and you see, see what they do, whether they hit a guy two feet in the boards and try and jam their head through the boards and you go, wow, I'm glad he's on my side because there are some guys out there that don't get it Mm -hmm. and they're always going to be there and is, and you can't fix that. And that will be fundamentally be, will be the breakdown of it because you can't play football in a bubble. You can't play hockey in a bubble. And that's in my opinion, why a lot of hockey uh, registration is down. Cost is expensive. Football's getting expensive. But when you think your child can't be protected from that guy and or even just the normal physical contact of the sport itself, then you're going to go, you know what? I'm okay if he plays tennis. And then you go back to the NFL because we started this talking about Cam Newton being abused. I would have been very interested. Nobody would do this because the NFL runs generally a pretty tight ship as far as telling the owners what to do. But if I was the NFL, if I was the owner of the Carolina Panthers... And Cam Newton took a couple headshots like that that weren't called that didn't discourage the opponents from from drilling him. If I'm if I'm the and he has to miss some games with a concussion. Now they say he's fine. I, I don't know how. I, I honestly don't know how his head. It, it must be made of granite to have survived a few of those blows. But if he had to miss some games, if I'm the owner of the Carolina Panthers, I'm turning to the NFL and I'm saying compensation. Not only are we possibly going to lose these games, miss out on playoff dates, miss out on home games because of this, our best player has been allowed to have been abused and you've done nothing despite what you've said. I I, I can honestly see a time when a rogue, renegade, do-his-own-thing owner says to the league, I'm suing you because you've said you're going to look after our guys, you've told our players you're going to look after our guys, and then when it actually comes down to it, you don't do anything to look after our guys. I could see that happening down the road someday. The, the veterans, the alumni are doing it now. Why not an active player who says, I got to miss six or eight or 10 weeks of a season because you let me take three or four headshots in a game and nothing was called. And that, you know, one, you can't control the fact that they hit you me one time. But after the first time when it wasn't called, they went, oh, phew, great. Do it again. Wait till somebody decides to sue a referee. That would be very interesting. For not making the call. That would be very interesting. Now, the referee would have... You're not calling that, so you're condoning it. The referee would argue, I didn't see it. The reason you're condoning it is because that happened four times and you never made a call once. So, you know what? 
and you know I used to referee, but that's that's where some of this stuff will go. You know, the biggest the biggest interesting point in some of these arguments to me is always, and I'll use the National Hockey League because it's easiest for me to use, is when some guy drills a guy from behind into the boards and gets a 20-game suspension and the Players Association comes to the defense of the guy that drilled him. And you got to go, holy crap, whose side are you on here? Is the guy who got hit not paying dues as well? Well, that's why, like the guy who's just coming out of the, coming out of his coma is going, they're defending him for doing that. That's been a that's been an issue all uh, forever. NFL Players Association only contact sports really deal with it, but you know some linebacker comes strolling through on a blitz and ran Peyton Manning right through the popcorn stand and got fined and suspended that the NFL Players Association would defend his right to try and kill Peyton Manning. It happens in Figure hockey all the out. time. I I've never understood it, but it happens all the time. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Chatting a little sports for the next few minutes. Don, this was an odd one, and and many people will not have seen this game, so the game itself is irrelevant to what we're going to talk about, really. It's just the, the, the foundation for what we want to talk about. But on the weekend, Oklahoma State lost to Central Michigan in a college football game down in the States. Really? Again, most 99% of people couldn't care less, didn't watch the game, don't know anything about it. That's entirely fine. The way they lost, however, was because they were given an extra play because the refereeing crew made a mistake. Now, this was not, you and I have chatted about instant replay before. This is not an instant replay kind of thing. They couldn't count to four. This was not a subjective call or a missed call during the game that we're going to go back and look by instant replay and see. This is not a judgment call error. This is an administrative error of the game. They received a fifth down on a penalty that should have ended their drive and they ended up winning on the next play on a Hail Mary that won them the game. So my question is this, leaving the instant replay debate off to the side, if a referee or a refereeing committee makes an administrative error that has nothing to do with subjectivity. It's just absolutely hard and fast as far as the rules. What should the league, what should be the the fallback be for this? Should teams be able to say, we want to go back on the field and play that last down again, or we want to win automatically? Or what's the, what's the proper way to handle something like this? In most leagues... Uh, situations like that are, are grounds for protest. Yes, but then what's the result of that? Well, then then you have a committee, and then you and there'll be a committee, and it won't be the first time it's happened. I mean, there's probably been other referees that can't count to five or four, um, and there'll be a bit of a precedent. But then you hear it out, and the difficulty is they generally bail on it because so we're going to bring these guys back and let them replay right. The last two minutes so the protest to, dies. Get, to get it right. I don't know what their criteria is, but that's the right way to do it. But it, I mean that I can't remember the. Well, that's not true. There have been in it, my it lifetime. Happened, it will have happened before. In my lifetime, there have maybe been a handful of games where, and usually, frankly, in baseball, because they'll say, "Okay, next time you go to that team's park, because you're you know you have two or three trips a year." We're picking up that game from the spot that it happened. If I recall correctly, the George Brett Pintar game was played under protest and yep. finished up later on. If I remember correctly about that one. But you're a hockey referee. 
team scores a goal on the power play, and the team that that scores the goal, so the the other team lets the guy the the kid the person leaves the penalty box because the goal has been scored. Suddenly they review it, they do whatever, they realize no goal, but they forget to put the guy back in the penalty box because it just got missed in the scramble. That guy goes out and scores a goal then. So a guy who should have been in the penalty box is now on the ice and scores a goal. What do you do? Because that's, these are the kind of, this is what I'm talking about as far as an administrative mistake that doesn't have anything to do with a call on the fly that is, you know, an an official's subjectivity and an official's discretion. I just think the protest thing almost never seems to work. It doesn't. That's a that one's a tough to protest. Um, the quick analogy is that show Eugene Levy's on in CTV. Something about a creek. Oh yes. Okay. That's what you're up. Yes. All right. I don't know how to pronounce it without. It, it would be. Uh, it starts with. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's the creek that you're familiar with when you're. It's up poop an H creek. Ends with a T. Yes. Yeah, poop. It's pronounced poop. I don't think so. <laughs> But no, it, it, sure, that's where you are, and and it's going to happen once in a while. And th- they just take a look at what the reality of the whole situation is, and um, they're 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 but they're not judgment calls, as you say. It's not like somebody let a tripping penalty go. Right. They've let a guy out of the box, and then all you can do, because I've been there, is hope and pray when they score. You're going, the guy the guy that was supposed to be in the box didn't score that, did he? Like you're hoping and praying that it just doesn't get worse from there. And then what you can do is you can put put a guy back in, or you can. So let's go back to the football. Correct your ways. Let's go back to the football for a second. You give the wrong number of downs for a team, they score then, and and now it's the last play of the game, so you can't even back it up and say everyone's still here. Let's go back. What do you do? What is if you're the person who is in charge? You're the commissioner of that league. What do you do? Well, sometimes they can make a ruling, and and when. As an official, what you hope and pray is when those things happen, that 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 scoring play on the last play of the game makes it nineteen to fifty-two. Yeah, although that's not what happened in this I one. Know. They won the game, and I just look at it and I go, "If I if, guess you could shoot them all, the referees. I mean, that's an option, but it, then you're running out of referees in a hurry." It seems to me that there is that, that there has to be. What would you do? Honestly, I would I would I would have I would make it a rule that says that you have it, it you know half an hour to file a protest after a game. Well, there's always a time frame. Usually it's 24 yeah, or 48 hours. Yeah, I know, but that's not good enough cuz teams have left to go back home. You've got half an hour after the game to file a protest. Well, he, and we will have someone who will hear it because then the players are all there. If we have to go back out on the field and finish this thing, we're still here. That's what we're going to do. You can't 24 hours later I can't remember. I think this was in Michigan, Central Michigan. So all the uh, Oklahoma State guys, they're on a plane or they're already in their bunk back in their dorm, back home. They're not flying them back to Michigan to replay that last down. It has to be done then if you're going to make this thing work. If you're going to fix these kind of things, it has to happen then. And nobody likes to work that fast. As sure as God made little green apples, you know the team that got wronged and got beat were all over the referees. I'm sure. Like... Just as the ball was sailing through the end zone, there's, there's, they're going cuckoo. There's dozens of players, dozens of coaches, thousands of fans, commentators, all these people. Somebody in that group knew that there was the wrong number of downs. So it's not really difficult to say, 
hold on, this is a protest, and everyone just hang tight while you're on the field. No one's going anywhere. The, the league is actually going to make a determination on this in the next 10 minutes, so just don't leave the field. And we'll decide whether the protest is upheld or not. And we're, if it is, you go back and play that last down or that last series, or you go back to that point that that happened. It's, it, to me, it's not difficult. It's, leagues make it difficult. They make it harder for themselves, and they create a situation with the 24-hour rule that it's essentially impossible to do anything about these protests. Well, they don't have any time to do it. Are they going to do it Tuesday morning? That's why. You can't do it. It has to be... they play every Saturday. It has to be then or not at all. So one of the... (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll take this up. I'll be interested to see what comes of this. I know the referees have been suspended. But well, that doesn't. But that doesn't help the team that lost. Great. No, okay. The refs lost. The refs are suspended. Great. How do we get our win back? I don't. I'm not an expert on college football, but clearly there's no challenge flag they can throw that have been there have been a hundred of them on the, on the throw floor. Throw calculators. That's it. That was college, so that would make sense. The Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred. AM nine hundred CHML.